0: Hello and welcome to Ditching Hourly. I'm Jonathan Stark. Today I am joined by repeat
1: offender, the expert's expert, David C. Baker. David, welcome back to the show. Thank you. Like, how many times you have to show up before you get a gold jacket? Yeah, Blair's one ahead of you. I think Blair's got three under his belt, so. (laughs) Wow, you must have been really scraping the barrel to have him on that many times. That's sad. Savage. Um, cool. Okay. So uh, we were corresponding
0: over email before this, uh, before this interview about an article that you published recently that I j- just was so great. I was like, we need to talk about that. Um, it, the overall article is about positioning and that is a huge subject of conversation on this show and elsewhere and other things that I do. Uh, critically important, Criti- critically important. Um, uh, but the angle that you that you had in the article I just loved, which was the the five things that happen right after you narrow your focus. And there's it's just so great. Uh, and I, I wanted to bring it on. Have you share it with the
1: audience and maybe have a little discussion around drill into some of those points that sounds good. i uh, this one came to me really quickly when I was writing it. And sometimes, like the ones that take me hours and hours don't resonate quite as much. But then this was just lying in bed one night thinking, Oh my goodness! You're kind of thinking back over the calls you've had with clients that day, and you start to see them voicing the same sort of concerns about a possible positioning decision. And then yeah. you realize, oh, a lot of people think this. I should just I should think about it in a new way. So it was a fun article to write. Great. Yeah. Sometimes the good ones just boom f- fall out of your head, fully formed.
0: Um, yes. And one of the benefits of narrowing your focus is recognizing patterns like that. Yeah. Somebody said that one time. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So let's jump right in. Uh, the the first, uh, well, do do we need to do a, a tiny preamble on
1: why, we, why would you even do positioning in the first place? Maybe mm. a little bit, maybe a little Probably. bit. Probably. For somebody that's never listened to your podcast before, yeah. then <laughs> it's hard to imagine anybody that listens to it regularly would need that, but... <laughs> To me, I mean, I'll, so I'll just give you 60 seconds here and just a broad sweep overview. Back in the late 80s and early 90s, your, the moat that protected you from the competition was largely geographic. And so you just had to be better than the options around you. And then when the internet really changed the world, all of a sudden it was exciting until we realized something else. But at first it was exciting because now, goodness, we can work anywhere in the world. And the flip side of that was, oh my goodness, everybody can work here. I no longer have a geographic moat. Mm -hmm. And so that was the first thing, is that I'm gonna need to be specialized because why in the world would somebody work with me because I no longer have the advantage of geography. But the other was that the world around us got so complicated, and there's just no way to be an expert in that many things. And so it was sort of a survival strategy. And there's lots more to talk about it, but fundamentally, sort of philosophically, that's the whole point, is that you've got to go really deep and narrow. There's some dangers in doing that, but you've got to do that, or you just don't have... You, you just can't have much impact. You can't make much money. You can't see the patterns. It just goes on and on.
0: Mm-hmm. Yes, agreed. Um, cool. So let's let's get into the five points. So let's say you're working with someone, and I'm sure you've worked with hundreds and hundreds of people on their positioning or, or firms, I should say, and, and, and you convince them to do it. Right. Mm-hmm. So like we're past that point, they're bought in and they, you're, I don't know, you're in a meeting and Eureka, this is it. This is the one that we should try. This <laughs> is the hypothesis. I've, you right. know, I, I know when I do it with someone, I'm like, this is it. I can, this is the one, you know, and it's as a starting point, you'll iterate on it, but you can feel, I can, I work on it with enough people. All of a sudden you could be like, that's the one because it's immediately memorable. I immediately have a Rolodex moment. I'm immediately like, I know who to reach out to, to see if maybe I should introduce you. Like all of a sudden it clicks. There's a clear value proposition. So great. And I've seen the same thing that you have seen that you wrote in the article is that you do it and it's like, okay, put this on your LinkedIn, put this on your, uh, as the headline on your website or, you know, wherever they're going to put it, email signature. And they start to, you know, the next day. It's not. Mm-hmm. A, it's not in the email signature. They get cold feet. They <laughs> run it by someone. It's, someone right. talks them out of it. So what? What happens right after you've come up with what seems like a really good starting point for a positioning statement, and then they chicken out?
1: Yeah. Well, and I love this because we can talk ourselves out of so many good ideas, and and what's worse, we can take months to talk ourselves out of good ideas, just wasting all kinds of time. Mm-hmm. I uh yeah so the the first thing that happens is is really not much <laughs> <laughs> you're you're not you're not all that smarter the next day and i think people i'm not sure why they think they should be but it just dawns on them the next day okay now they're claiming something and and they're not all that smarter but in relation to that one thing changes that just just revolutionizes your consulting practice or your advisory practice and that's that the rate of learning accelerates because now what you are seeing especially not not immediately but pretty close to that decision you're starting to see one firm after another that shares more characteristics they could be vertical or horizontal characteristics or anything like that but they are they share, there's more opportunity to see the patterns because I'm gonna say, okay, I'm only gonna work with tattoo shops from now on, even though I've worked with all kinds of other, like, okay, it's not like your observational powers are better the next day. <laughs> it's just that you're working with one after another after another, and the rate of learning is so much more accelerated. I, I live on 61 acres in Tennessee, and I think of it sort of like this, um, and I'm always getting people asking if they can hunt on our property. We kind of say no, because, you know, people with guns, we don't know. doesn't seem like a good combination. <laughs> but, they're, and, but when they ask to hunt, they don't say, can I hunt on your property? They say, can I hunt wild turkey or deer or whatever it is specifically, or coyote or fox? Those are the big ones that they hunt. Mm. And... They, so they're hunting something very specific and because they've done this for a while, they know what gear, they know what time of day, they know where to, where to park themselves to wait for Mm -hmm. something to appear. And their rate of learning once they decided to choose something very specific was just accelerated. That's what changes first.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally agree. Yeah. So it's not like you're going to have, I mean, to be honest, I have seen overnight positioning successes where someone changes their positioning and they're just like mm. immediately start getting leads. People just like, here's my phone number. We need to talk right now. Right. Like when you're when you're really you're like, OK, yep, that, that one's going to work. Um, but you're right. You know, you you you're not instantly smarter, um, but the and of course, everyone, I suppose it's obvious that that if you spend more time focusing down, you're going to notice more things. And that is going to dramatically set you apart from your competition because, right. the, you know, it pretty quickly, if you stick with it, it'll happen pretty quickly because you can find out where all the watering holes are, find out what their specific language is. You can start using specific language. Like if your target market is doctors, you won't say clients, you'll say patients or whatever the case may be. Right. You can start using their lingo and jargon in your. Uh, in your marketing materials and it'll automatically set you apart from any other generalist. So you just start pulling ahead of the pack very quickly.
1: And that's also when your conversations from that point forward will elicit a comment that sounds something like this. There'll be a pause and they'll say, dang, it's like, you know me, like you've got a (laughs) camera in my office and obviously you don't, but, but that's how well you can see when i'm talking with somebody on the phone if i'm feeling particularly on that day i'll often say can i take a guess at what your revenue is and mm-hmm. i'll get it pretty close mm-hmm. and that's when there's this weird pause it's like how did you know that <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: yeah. yeah yeah you can start doing something i think is an extremely black belt move with your with your prospective clients which is a uh, something oren Claff calls a cold read where Mm. they don't even tell you like normally i would most people they need to have like the why conversation and uncover what the desired outcome is and that you know the client's asking for motrin but what are they really trying to solve is it a is it headache or lower back pain like what are you really trying to solve Uh, but when you focus way way down on an industry you can tell them what their problems are like seven times out of ten right before they even open their mouths yeah yeah so cool all right well um, that it's very related to this next, this number two, this number new, uh, number two point, your imposter syndrome is a false flag. So let's talk about what imposter syndrome is a little bit, cause I know you've written some, uh, some really good stuff on that. And then yeah. why it's, uh, why it's the resistance, why it's a phony objection.
1: Yeah. So imposter syndrome is a simply. Feeling like you're not quite big enough to fill the shoes that you're claiming, or something like that. I had a mm-hmm. little moment of this last, early this week. I was keynoting a conference down in Miami Beach, and it was for a bunch of really high-end firms that rented out unique um, event furniture and fixtures and so on. And I knew a fair bit about it, you know, but I did. It was out of my normal my normal feel of competence. And I I just remember standing up there and saying, oh, I've tasted competence and I've tasted something less than competence. And I kind of don't want to do this anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so that's, that's what it is. And this one just makes me smile because once you mention this to somebody, Then they grin and say, yep, you caught me. And so what we're talking about here is after the positioning decision, you are making some unique claims around expertise that you haven't made before. And Mm -hmm. all of a sudden you feel insecure or unable to fulfill those promises. (laughs) And, and you feel like you're cheating your clients or something. And what, what just makes me laugh is, and this is what I tell them, it's like, well, yesterday before you made a decision to specialize or focus, you would have gladly taken this work and you would have never thought twice about whether you were delivering value or not. (laughs) And it's like, and now you're concerned. (laughs) Isn't that funny? Yeah. Yeah.
0: It's like naming, it's like naming it somehow or making, making, it's not even naming it because
1: it's more like just making a claim. Yeah, right. And what I wish is that that would have occurred to them earlier. Because when people come to me, I've worked with nine hundred some firms, and then lots of others in seminars, like kind of casually, and and so it's about fifty a year. And when those firms come to me and want to adjust their positioning, never once has somebody come to me and said, "I want to be more effective for my clients." <laughs> never <laughs> once. It's almost always, I. I really want to control the lead generation process for my firm and I have no idea how to build a marketing plan on my positioning. And it's like, well, I don't either. So let's fix it. Yeah. I want to actually illustrate
0: this with some tangibles just to make sure that this lands. So imagine that you're a business coach and a CPA comes to you and says, Hey, I'd love to get some business coaching. And you'd say, sure, let's do it. And so what David here is saying is that saying on your website, I'm a business coach for CPAs now suddenly makes them nervous. And if a CPA came to them, they'd be like feeling imposter syndrome. Cause like, how could I possibly do a good job? But you would have taken the CPA yesterday, <laughs> right? <laughs> it's
1: crazy, isn't it? It's like just I'll, so I'll work fun. with anyone, but I won't pick one because then that will make me nervous. Right. And the truth is that today you aren't any more qualified to work with this CPA than you were yesterday. But within a week, I'll bet you're more qualified. And within a couple of years, you will just completely own that space. So it's just funny to point it out to people. Nobody's ever been offended when I laugh at them, but they kind of like smile and say, yeah, I guess you're right. <laughs> so I wonder if that, just, just to explore
0: this just for a second, I wonder if that, if they're naming, the thing that they're feeling, they're sort of naming it wrong. You know, like what, because and- what, I've seen the exact same thing. It's it's observable. It's an observable phenomenon. So, what is it? Have you do you have any idea what what it is? That what's the
1: what is the what fear does that claim trigger? Hmm. I wonder if it's the fear of getting caught. So, in other words, if they're not specialized in coaching CPAs, then during a conversation in a client relationship, something might come up, and you could say. Oh, that's interesting. Like I didn't realize that, or you know, ah, that's different from an architect I just worked oh, with. Oh, they've but got wiggle no, room. Really... yeah, exactly, exactly. I wonder. I don't know for sure, but I wonder if that's part of it. But if if I put if I hang a shingle on my website that says I'm an expert in such and such, by God, I better be. I, and it's pretty easy to find out if you aren't. So it's that. It, it's just you're too you're too far ahead of your sk- that first day and mm-hmm. you haven't quite caught up with yourself. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's, um, I don't know, It's a, there's something really human about it though. And it's, I don't see any patterns in terms of, it seems like everybody sort of thinks that way. Now where it doesn't happen is if somebody already has sort of an unstated positioning, mm-hmm. but they, they're not getting in a benefit from it in the marketplace because yeah. yeah, they're just not attracting the right clients.
0: Yeah, I've, that actually happened with me. Um, when Mm. before i even knew when i was purely generalist mindset i was very horizontal specialization for a long time in my consulting i I was like really well known and good at uh, a particular technology Mm -hmm. and it was in it was in high demand so i basically fell in a pile of money and the i was i had i backed my way into a really strong positioning by writing a book that was fairly popular so Mm. I, so the book did all the positioning work for me i, I never was out there I, I didn't really articulate it myself from my website my website was a typical garbage you right. know nothing resume and uh and but the book did the positioning for me so when i started to realize what positioning was and i was like oh it'd be kind of good if i if i did this uh, <laughs> intentionally <an> <laughs> yeah. yeah what a thought um so when i went when i pivoted to do to doing what i'm doing now i, I was super duper specific so it, it, the other thing that the thing the thing about saying i i do business coaching for cpas or whatever it is it does it removes that wiggle room where you can ask like you you kind of like have permission to ask dumb questions about mm-hmm. their their uh business if you hadn't said that right and but so let's just look at it from this angle for one second like you know to the dear listener why why should you be allowed to ask dumb questions right like if you're an expert like get get there get there be an expert not at what you do but at the outcomes you deliver so Mm -hmm. become become good at delivering positive outcomes or like outsized and maybe even remarkable outcomes for your clients you can you can hit a you know i don't know you can get on base or hit a double all day long by just being a good business coach i suppose but if you go deeper and you want to hit home runs and grand slams on a regular basis you the way to do it is to get to know your clients better and the way to do that is by picking
1: one you know deciding what you want to be when you grow up right and you may cover this in um, other episodes, but just for somebody that might be confused about vertical versus horizontal. So we've been using a vertical horizon, um, example of mm-hmm. a CPA, mm-hmm. but let's say you were a counselor and your horizontal focus was youth, teenage youth. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that would be all of these examples work. I just, so that people aren't confused. There's lots of different ways to position. It doesn't have to be by like a vertical CPA, sort of a SIC or NAICS mm-hmm. code. It's Yeah. It could be horizontal as well. And it's all the same principles apply.
0: Yes. Right.
1: I I do talk about it a
0: lot. I'll probably do a follow-up episode after this. I haven't talked about it in a while, but you can pick apart, you can segment a target market by psychographics, demographics, uh, interest, a million things, worldview, whatever. It's like, but whatever, like, you know, when you've got a good one, when you've got a good uh, target market, I don't love that term, but it's easy to understand. So you know when you've got a good target market when you tell someone you help that target market and they say oh i should introduce you to my cousin bob <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because they right, right. they immediately have a rolodex moment right um okay cool so let's move on to number three this, i i love this one and i think i've got some questions about it for you like your experience with it But number three was you
1: don't have to turn down work that doesn't fit the new focus yeah and this like, I didn't used to believe this. I kind of was hard and fast. Like, grow up, make a big decision. Quit <laughs> ripping people off. My usual sort of <laughs> overkill love. approach. And, um, and I realized, oh, that's so unreasonable. And in fact, that was my whole, I think, consulting gig in the first 10 years. It's like, here's what you do. If you don't have the courage to do it, then goodbye. <laughs> you know, it was just a really terrible approach. So to be a little bit more empathetic one of the fears that people have is oh my god what am i going to get enough work and because yeah. most of the work that comes to me now this is them still speaking most of that work comes to me through referrals it just crosses the transom it's you know mm-hmm. and it's all over the place and i'm i don't i'm i'm not worried about the end game i'm worried about the transition exactly. to exactly yeah and so what i say to them is that focus is about the work you look for not the work you accept so it's fine to accept some of that generalist work that you would have accepted yesterday but what you don't want to do is tell people about it or make it public on your website so you just keep doing it now i want to add a twist that i think is pretty important in that so if you think of the three phases of your career moving towards being an expert, you have sort of the generalist approach, then you have the final expert approach, but then there's this middle where you are looking for certain stuff, but you're accepting other stuff. That will be a, that middle period will be a very unsatisfying experience and you will find yourself getting a little disgusted with yourself and a little bit impatient because you'll, the the difference between Doing work for people that you know a lot about and people you don't is so stark, and mm-hmm. you'll begin to feel a little dirty about it. And that <laughs> period will not last long. I've never seen it last more than eighteen months. More typically, it's less than a year where you're still where you still have a foot on both sides of the fence.
0: Hundred percent right, because you it, well, you said earlier how you were sort of talk. You felt maybe a little uh, I don't I wouldn't say out of your depth, but you 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 were like I know what competence feels like, and this isn't it. And, yeah. and I don't like that. That I don't like the not feeling competent feeling. So it's the exact same thing, right? And yeah. and depending on a lot of things, depending on a lot of things, the work that you seek, the positioning and the marketing and everything you are doing to get the kinds of clients that you want, it can happen relatively quickly. You can, it, I shouldn't say it like you. You you definitely don't complete the trans the the transformation or the transition super fast but you can pretty quickly like i i've worked with people who are like in my coaching program who are really good at executing on the advice that we that we that i give them and the, the homework that we put together and um and when they're real directed and they don't uh, they don't um uh, sort of fishtail around too much mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You, you can have demonstrable traffic with your new i should say uh, demonstrable traction with your new positioning in four months, you can mm-hmm. see immediately that that right. like it it's not doesn't happen every time. It probably doesn't even happen most of the time, but it is not uncommon for it to happen. So that you could say, oh, I'm getting a lot of I'm, I see that I'm getting traction here. I'm getting uh, inbound for the first time ever, like non <laughs> non referral inbound requests. I'm getting people reaching out to me on LinkedIn that that are like we should set up a call.
1: Yeah. Like, and, and they're already pre-qualified because yes. they've already decided, oh, this is kind of a fit. I just want to see what kind of a person this is, but obviously the expertise is a fit It rather than you trying to spend the first 15 minutes of the call explaining how you do know something about their world. They just assume <laughs> it because they've read, well, you've said it for one thing, but they've also read or listened to all kinds of evidence that, you know, their world.
0: Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. And I, and I agree hundred percent with uh, the point you were making about, um, you can absolutely in the transition period, accept new work, you're probably going to, you're probably going to be like, oh, wow, this feels like the old way. Yuck. Um, I have that a lot with people who are, who, who are transitioning away from hourly billing and they switch over to value pricing their, for their project work. And then they, they sort of chicken out and take on a, an hourly project. And they're like,
1: oh, I forgot how bad this is. Yeah, right. <laughs> <It's> like, oh. <laughs> now I know why I don't touch the stove all the time. Exactly. I remember now. Yeah, exactly. And it's similar with the positioning thing.
0: So um, when I say to people, you know, I'll be coaching someone, and the, the thing is most of their work usually was from referrals, just like you said. And when it comes in, there's sort of there's the geez this is money i should take it um i don't i don't get maybe six leads a year so i you know i need to i need to take this also our mutual friend that made the referral there's a social obligation Mm. feeling that they don't want to say no because the friend extended themselves extended their reputation to make the introduction and then to be like oh no i don't work with people like that anymore
1: right um that that doesn't feel great But it also, but the way to salvage that in my mind is to be really honest about the fit, and then if you can refer them to somebody that's a great fit, and then that that kind of rescues the the social connection part of it.
0: Mm -hmm. That's true. That's good. And so, well, so when when I have someone who's wrestling with this decision, um, I'll say I say to them, "They're like, what should I do?" And so we'll sort of go into the specifics of it, and we'll make a decision. And I'll say, "But here's the here's my rule." you cannot put a testimonial from them on your website. You cannot put their logo on your website. You are not allowed to, it's like a, it's just a money. It's for the money, it's, you know, it's to give them the result they want and get paid fairly for it, but you are not gonna use this in any of your marketing, materi- marketing materials. Right. right. And sometimes that will flip the switch for them. and be like, "Oh, yeah, you're right, you know. It, uh... So it, it's a case-by-case thing. It depends on people's cash flow, a million things. Right. But uh, yeah, cool. So, but it, I do love, explicitly sort uh, differentiating between the work that you seek and the work that you'll accept and not necessarily the, the, uh, the same thing. Cool. All right. Number four, hmm. you
1: immediately begin the process of narrowing it even further. Say more. Yeah. Yeah. Here I have to reluctantly refer to my podcast partner because dang it. He's <laughs> the one that came up with the phrase. Oh, you mean our most successful guest on Ditching Hourly? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I'm talking about Blair ends. We were recording an episode for our podcast and, and we were talking about this and he said, he, he kind of rephrased what I was stumbling around to say. And he said, yeah, what, you're not looking for the perfect positioning. You're looking for a perfectible positioning. Mm-hmm. And which is absolutely true. It's like a light went on in my head. And I want to add to that though and say, That it is not perfectible until you go public with it and you begin testing it with prospects and with clients. Mm -hmm. So you get to a point in your deliberations where you feel like, in your bones and based on the research that you've done, and there's some good research you can do, that this is it, okay? But it doesn't, the fog hasn't lifted completely it's almost like releasing an, a minimally viable product where you just know that user testing from a small base is the only thing that's going to really improve it. There's nothing else you can do in the lab. It's going to have to go out on the marketplace. You're going to have to get dressed up, go to a party, and and let people laugh at your clothes, so to yeah. speak. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what's happening here. And it usually takes longer. So one to two years is about typical. And every once in a while one in a hundred cases you have to flip it because something happened either we missed some piece of data which is unlikely or the marketplace changed but most of the time it gets even narrower but you wouldn't see how to narrow it further until you'd play with it for a year or two
0: Mm -hmm. yeah it becomes obvious because what i say that phase what I, i i say to people i use different language but it's the same thing where we'll be we'll have a bunch of sort of candidate potential positioning statements and so I've got like different formats that you can use. Some are easier than others. Some are more complete and useful than others. But so we'll go through, you know, sort of a brainstorming session, maybe go through their their past experience and maybe pull from that or other circles or communities that they're in if they're going into a new direction or whatever so we brainstorm some stuff and it's really easy for me to see when something's not going to work like now nah, that's that's the odds mm-hmm. of that working are like zero you know and you can see all the bad ones and kind of throw those out and then you usually it'll come down to like one or two that i feel like these could work so then it's like but to me it's 100 hypothesis at that point right yeah and it needs to be tested and the way that you test it is through conversation so then i with People in the target market does is does this resonate are these the right words to use like sometimes i'll have i I was working with someone now actually who i know what is positioning it he and i both know what it is but we haven't figured out how to say it yet Mm -hmm. and yeah that's almost cheating but like we know a clunky way to say it but it it doesn't you can't say it it's too long it's too confusing it's it's very specific and clear but it's not it's lacking a certain poetry that maybe is i don't know if i would uh, i don't know if it matters where i would draw the line is that part of the positioning or is that part of the messaging it doesn't really matter you still have to figure out how to say it right and uh but if it you know and if someone said to me or if this person you know it's like well i'm going to try it this way and that way and the other way and we don't know if this you know when i say product to this market do they think coffee cup or are they thinking like sass oh right right stuff like that yeah. So um so you need to figure it out. There's only one way to figure it out. It's like by talking to people in the target market and see if it resonates in the way, you know, if the message is, is making it through to the other side
1: or if and it's just if bouncing I could off them. If I could pick up on a point you just made, you're not going to test it by slapping it on the top part of your homepage just because you're not going to learn when it doesn't strike somebody. They'll just go on that learning is exactly like you said it's in conversations with prospects and clients mainly prospects honestly Mm -hmm. so that when you say something you immediately know what didn't resonate or you can see how they interpret it not the way you intended and that's when you learn from it it's very much the difference between sort of a a blind email to somebody versus a cold sales call. Like you're you're not gonna learn something from one of those. And Mm -hmm. I'm not advocating you go out and do the cold sales call (laughs) much, but but it is it is a time it is the way. It's the best way to learn. It's like slathering yourself a meat tenderizer and then jumping behind a (laughs) zoo fence. So it's like, okay, something's gonna happen here, right? (laughs) Yeah. 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 There's no way to not get feedback. Um, I had
0: one student early on who was very social. Uh, you, you know, he's uh, in his twenties in uh, San Francisco, uh, went out a lot, and would go to. You know, it was a it was a fairly savvy networker. You know, uh, back in the day, and he when we were working together, he would just go to parties, and of course, people going to ask, "What do you do?" And he would try a different version on everyone, oh. and e- even though they weren't in the target market, um, I, at all. I still like this approach because a good, in my opinion, you tell me if you disagree, but in my opinion, a good positioning statement, it can hit anyone near your target
1: market and still get you to the target. Yeah. Right. They should, they should understand it. It may not resonate, but the fact that it doesn't resonate means something. Yes. As long as they understand what it means and they say, Oh, that's not me, but I know who somebody who is. That's a great test of a positioning statement. Right. Right. Yeah. And if you this particular guy
0: actually he he um had a bizarre target market. I had never even heard of this profession before um that that uh that, that he was going to serve. And it was I think it was called a college counselor and they're people who kind of they are consultants basically that that parents of high school children will hire to help get their kids into a really good school without breaking the bank. So it's sort right. of a advisory position. Right. And, uh, he gets in a cab and you know, is the same guy is like always bouncing the idea of people. So instead of, so the cabby was a chatty guy and was like, Hey, what do you do? And, uh, he said something like I help college counselors get more leads. And, And the guy, you know, and a lot of people in that same scenario would brush the cabbie off and just say like, um, you know, like, oh, I do computers or I work on my consultant normal lawyer, you know, just like, just like kind of something
1: that, that kills a conversation and exactly. Exactly. (laughs) So instead, and I'm,
0: I'm a big fan of not judging the listener or the asker and just telling them the truth and Mm -hmm. not judging that they won't be capable of understanding what that thing is. Right. Um, and, and sure enough. See, oh, well, I help college counselors get more leads or or better leads or whatever it was increase their income. He's like, no way, my mother's a college counselor. Oh, <laughs> just put you guys in inside. That's great. Yeah, <laughs> busted. Right? Yeah. So I, I love that story for both of those reasons. One, it's like it's like don't judge the person who's asking what you do. Just tell them. Don't try and cater it to. I don't know. Like it's to me, it's like super obnoxious to to change it for everyone that you talk to. And then the other thing is. It's like you, you just never know right like you never know it's like everyone is so connected these days between social media and and whatnot that if you're really clear about who it is that you're here to help mm-hmm. they will gladly make an introduction you know so it, it's it's when it starts working everybody says the same thing to me like when you nail it everyone says the same thing it's like magic
1: and it's fun now it's not new business is not something i dread but i have to do it now it's fun because the conversations either resonate or they don't and the fact that they is, I, i've i always felt like listen i'm not afraid of the truth if if we're not supposed to work together i'd kind of like to know as soon as possible yeah yeah if yeah. i don't want to have a conversation with somebody and they ask me what i do i'll just say i i do financial risk assel- assessment <laughs> for credit unions and that always <laughs> shuts it down it's like no more chit chat after that. I sell life insurance. You want to talk?
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, cool. Okay. Well, I think we've I think we've beat number four into submission. So let's jump on to number five. Yeah. This one I think will surprise people. So let's. So number five is you'll have lots
1: more to talk and write about. Yeah, it seems counterintuitive, mm-hmm. and this hits people between the eyes because whatever their marketing plan looks like nowadays it you kind of have to give google something to work with and you know whatever that is audio video words whatever it is so it's gonna it's going to involve you figuring out what sort of content or insight to produce and if you're an undifferentiated firm that's a really tough topic because you end up writing something that's equally interesting or not to most everybody which means it's it's just ignorable content and mm-hmm so you you come to this decision with that tension of oh goodness what do i write or what do i talk about and the last thing you want to do is narrow those options by having a tighter positioning thinking that it's going to be even harder to do this stuff later Mm -hmm. and i think this is another illustration that blair gives sometimes sort of this decision that you're provisionally going to make picture it as a door into a room and you're afraid of getting trapped in that room you're, now you're all over the house but I'm telling you go into this room and you're one of the things that makes you nervous about it is like well what's in there like is there it what happens after I get in there and you get in the room and you see all these windows and doors and passageways that you didn't even know existed yeah I will never run out of things to talk about it just it's just impossible now mm-hmm. I have almost 400 possible topics more than half of them are, already outlined and I have an illustration and at some stage of production from my illustrator and it's just the most amazing thing that happens. You start to focus and you think, oh my goodness, I, I'll never run out of topics and it's so much fun to think about but it's it's counterintuitive enough that a lot of people are f- fearful of just the opposite happening. I know, it's insane. I,
0: while you were saying that, I flipped over to my my drafts folder for my daily email. Right, I have 861 drafts <laughs> Good thing you don't have OCD. It's I mean it's it is totally counterintuitive, but the the more you focus down, the deeper the cavern goes. And right. there's just so much more to explore in there, and if we're talking about differentiation, differentiation, it's going to set you apart from the shallow garbage that, you know, people have at this point have AIs generating for their blogs so that Google's AIs can read their blog. And then maybe some human comes along and searches for it. But it's like you you
1: read some of these sort of generalist blogs and it feels like robots writing for robots. Yeah. And and it it just anno- it it used to just bore me and now it just annoys me because I've wasted my time yet again. When I go back to LinkedIn and I see a bunch of notifications that somebody's just contributed something. I'm oh I'm really hesitant. It's like, okay, but you better not waste my time. This <laughs> better not be some seven point listicle that any high schooler could have written. Mm-hmm. And it's just it's so much fun. I, I um uh, I love the fact that it's just a wide open if I decide that I wanted to mine gold in my mm-hmm. spare time. <laughs> I'm not going to go out and with a shovel and just start digging. I think I'll start in the backyard and then I'll go to the front yard. Then I'll go to the neighbors after dark. And like, no, you figure out where the gold is. And then you dig very, very narrowly and specifically with the right tools. And that's where you're going to have the most luck. And it's different for every other focus. And I don't know why we don't kind of get that when we translate those principles to our world. I know.
0: I, I don't. It's just not modeled. I don't know. Right. It's, it seems, it seems a little, I mean, I guess there is a, paradox a seeming paradox to it which is like the more I focus my business the bigger it gets like that seems impossible and and the, I've heard people say like oh well I only got 10 leads this year and they were all over the map if I focus down on just the dentists then I'm only gonna get one lead and right it's like it's like no you're like right now I like the fishing analogy it's like right now you know when people say oh I don't want to you know why why would i focus down when i could be a generalist and cast a wide net
1: Mm -hmm.
0: and it's like no you've got the metaphor wrong it's the the net is your marketing ability so the net doesn't change So big being a generalist is fishing in the ocean with a teeny little net or like a single hook and being a specialist is like fishing in a barrel stocked full of trout right it's not a it's not like it's not nike has a big net Apple has a big net. You, as a soloist, I talk to soloists mostly. A soloist does not have a big net, and they're never going to. So you need to have precision tools and and focus your energy where it's going to be the most effective, and that's in the barrel of fish. Not, I mean, the ocean has. I, I looked it up. It's got three point five trillion fish estimated. Wow. Three point five trillion. Why would I fish in a barrel of a thousand trout when I could fi- when I could go out and get three point five <laughs> trillion
1: potentially? right it's like okay go ahead and go on the
0: ocean in your but that's why there's no
1: there's no shows on discovery network uh of of really capable fishermen that just throw a big ass net out and then at the end of the day they sort up okay well we got 21 different varieties of fish all right somebody (laughs) go figure out who's gonna sell who's gonna buy this and oh shoot we got a tire too what are we gonna do with that you know it's like no Those shows are, they're for shrimp or for their, they're for salmon or, you know, yeah, Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. It's like, pick what you're going after. But there's, Um, there's something about this that I think, sorry to interrupt you, um, just around the whole entrepreneurial spirit. And this, this one just perplexes me, even though not so much that I don't understand it because I see it in myself a little bit, but the, the best entrepreneurs are risk takers and they have can do attitudes and they're disciplined enough and they're smart enough. They don't have to be brilliant, but they need to be above a certain level. And And if they were starting out at the very beginning and they wrote out a list of things they could probably be successful at, there'd probably be 20 things on that list. Right. And now they're just choosing one. And, and yet still they have this scarcity mindset that, oh my God, if I run out of opportunity, what's gonna happen to me? And it's like the <laughs> entrepreneurs I know, not a single one of them's going to starve. They're going to figure something out. That's not a really valid risk. It's not a valid argument about specialization running out of opportunity and or running out of things to talk about either. It's the same thing, just the other yeah, side of the coin. Yeah, same thing. Right. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. It's like you, you couldn't eat 3.5 trillion fish if you could even catch them all. But, you know, if there's a thousand trout in a, in a pond or a barrel or whatever, you could probably only handle 10 of them. Right. Right. There's like way more opportunity than I think, I think part of the, part of the, um, the disconnect where the scarcity mindset comes from is because I think the human brain is just really bad at large numbers. And to your point earlier about we're all, we're all one click away globally and you no longer have a, you know, a a geolocation sort of moat around you, uh, a geography around you that, that keeps competitors out the markets. For whatever whatever market you're going after, is surely ten or a hundred times bigger than you think it is. So right. they feel like, oh, there could only be, you know, there could only be so many. I don't know CPAs in the United States that speak English, you know. And it, it's like, <laughs> I was making this point uh, at a conference in Las Vegas one time, and before the before the presentation, I was like, I'm just going to Google uh, like a like a local search: dentists near me to see how many dentists there were. <laughs> There were like 10,000 dentists within walking distance of the conference. And there Have were you like,
1: heard of the guy that named his firm that, Dentist Near Me? That way when he did a Google <laughs> search. That's, that's true. Is that true? Yeah, it's true. <laughs> now that's a smart person right there. <laughs> uh, yeah. He'll need to figure out how to do remote dentistry, but okay. <laughs>
0: yeah. Oh, that's funny. But yeah, I mean, it's it was mind-boggling. I mean, there was something like, I don't know, over a million like, – I remember thinking i don't remember the exact numbers but they were mind-boggling there were thousands of times bigger than you could ever hope to service as a soloist um, and i remember thinking you know to your point earlier about niching down farther you'd probably have to go with like periodontists or you know like pediatric dentists or something like something right. even more specific. because dentist was like i'm like oh wow
1: that's still way too big <laughs> like, yeah yeah dentists who won't whine when i want more nitrous oxide that would be the (laughs) one i would get but it it is kind of crazy i don't um i don't know how we i don't know how we think about i don't know what comes in our minds sometimes and how we just step away from this and we lose We lose our confidence, like there's specific numbers behind this too. You know, you, in my research, I found that it's a pretty safe assumption that if you are decently capable in the professional services space, you could, if you do most everything right, you could lock up about 1% of the opportunity. That's a pretty safe assumption. Mm -hmm. So if you need say 20 clients a year, which is really more than you need, but let's say you need 20 clients a year, then you only need 2,000 prospects. Now, when I'm trying to evaluate a possible positioning decision, I try to get more around 10,000 or so, Mm -hmm. but there's no reason you got to have more than that. So let's keep niching down. Maybe not right away, but maybe this is what happens when you look to narrow it further as you see even more patterns that weren't apparent right at the boundary of making that positioning. Mm -hmm. It's just a wonderful, it's a wonderful journey. I'm, I'm so grateful that um, I've been around people that think this way. I've got so many clients that think this way. I'm somebody, I'm so so glad that people like you and, and others understand this and make good arguments for it. It's just a better world that way. And we deliver better value to our clients too. It's not just about making more money, which is obviously true, but it's about delivering better value too. Yeah. And that's
0: why it's, you know, as much as I talk about value pricing, and I think most people know me for that, you can't do it without positioning. Oh yeah, right, exactly. You literally cannot be an undifferentiated generalist and and well, I mean you can do it but it won't change your income. I mean it's not going to be a, a home run for you. You know, you could try it, but people are going to be like, "Um, I'm just going to get the $10 an hour web designer. Like, what do you ask? Like, what do you ask me why I need a website? I just want a web designer. Can you just do what I want?" Mm-hmm. And w- without so like for me, step 1 with everybody, every student that goes through my coaching program, is step one is positioning because I don't know what to do if we
1: don't have that there's nothing for me to do I don't yeah everything that follows is is murky like okay, I don't know what they're losing sleep over I don't know what water coolers they're hanging around. Mm-hmm. I don't know what service offerings to do. I don't even know who to hire to fulfill these promises until we get the positioning right nothing else falls into place
0: mm-hmm. yeah there's a there's a thing I noticed that 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 reminded me of when you were talking about you'll never run out of things to write is. Is a lot of folks who have sort of got the memo that geez, I need to blog uh, because I guess business like reasons. You know, they just think they need to blog. They don't have this burning desire to blog, uh, and they think they have writer's block, and they just can I just never, you know, it's every blog post starts with boy, it's been a while since I blogged. <laughs> so I can't believe it. it's been <laughs> <Yeah>. six months. <laughs> yeah, and and they ha- and it's just torture. It takes them days to to you know crank out an 800 word post or something and and to me it's like you don't have writer's block you don't know what to write because you haven't decided who it's for you don't know who you're talking to right it's not an output block like writer's block it's an input block yeah so you literally don't know what words to choose you're constantly second guessing your word choice or you know just to just to pick one thing you know you don't you don't know if like i said before with the doctors you don't know whether you should talk about guests You know it's like if you're talking to a hospitality client uh audience or patients if you're talking to like a medical audience or clients if you're talking to you know professional services or customers if you're talking to product businesses you don't even know what to call the people they sell to so how are you gonna and that's just one example there's just hundreds of these things that come up and you're like i don't know what to say it's like because you don't know who you're talking to you just have to pick
1: and and then that's when a blog oh go ahead
0: yeah. And then on. all this, all of a sudden you're like, oh, now I know what to say.
1: And that's when a blog devolves into a newsletter where <laughs> you know how to talk about this. And it's just like nobody really cares about the new person you hired or about mm-hmm. some of the work you did for somebody else last year that doesn't relate to them at all. And oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's like, you know, and, and they're
0: more and more, I see more and more people talking about this. It could be confirmation bias because I'm aware of it now and I, I sort of swim in these circles, but I do see more people talking about the benefits of niching down and, uh, and you know, th- this particular, I-, I love this particular article that you wrote because it focuses right on that point after you've already figured it out. Like we could talk for days about how to do it, how to convince yourself to do it, why it's good and all those things. And some of that's come up here. But I really liked that point right after the sort of buyer's remorse of mm-hmm. <laughs> of positioning yeah. and 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 then like, okay, we've we've got a hypothesis here. Like and and maybe they even go for it. You know, they 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 start talking about it on LinkedIn. Usually I have people if if their audience, their new target market is active on LinkedIn, i you just say, all right, let's just, let's just change your headline there on your LinkedIn
1: and see if anything happens. And sometimes it does. Like and it requires so much courage. Meanwhile, there are people in Ukraine defending their homes with guns and we're terrified of changing our LinkedIn title. <laughs> I was you said something earlier about that, you know, the
0: entrepreneurs have 20 different things they could do and like there's a there's a whole conversation to be had about the sort of human animals, you know, the modern human or whatever you want to call it, current current crop of humans. Um they're just so bad at at accurately estimating risk it, it, mm. like people are there's you know two components to risk likelihood of a loss and the impact of a loss yeah and and i'll you talk to people you know that just like okay just update your linkedin headline and they act like the likelihood of a huge loss happening is imminent you know it's yeah. like high and it's like what could go wrong what possibly
1: well, and- could go wrong when that happens with me, and this is always uh, Plan B, C, or D, it's never my first choice. If they, if I cannot get them to publicly abandon their generalist approach, then I just tell them, "Okay, all we got to do here is—I don't know anything else. We just got to do a subbrand. You mm-hmm. can't have two. You can't have two marketing plans. Lord knows you've not even done one well, so yeah. I'm not going to expect you to do two. But you've never done marketing for this generalist firm the way it should be done anyway. Those those things will be coming." Anyway, less like they always have here, your marketing plan is going to be around the sub brand. I don't think it's the first choice you should make, but it's much better than just sitting there and not making a decision. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I do something similar with uh,
0: sometimes, I, honestly, I haven't had someone that just couldn't, I think I've probably scared those people away. Like people know when they're, they're like, this is part of the deal if you're going to work with me. right? Um, but there have been times where I had really heavy resistance from someone. And so what what we did is we would create a service, like a productized service, and then we would do all the positioning on that and and, and right. make that thing, you know, this, th- instead of saying I help, um, I don't know, musical equipment manager, uh, manufacturers, kick copycat products off the internet or, you know, something really nice and crispy. Um, it's, if they can't bring themselves to do that, getting too many referrals uh, or whatever. And then they like it. Then say, okay, let's make a productized service that is for someone specifically, hyper specific. It has Mm -hmm. a, and once you pick that, then you can say, okay, what promise can we make to those people? What is the thing that, what's their expensive problem? What can, you know, what, what are the, but it's instead of saying I help blah, 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 blah. It's like this service is for people like this who have this kind of a problem. And it's unlike the other options in these ways. And sometimes that that has been, that's been an approach that would get people to move forward. Yeah. I actually had one friend who, um, it wasn't a student, but was a friend of mine who had a firm, kind of, kind of, maybe, maybe a little small at the time for somebody you would work with, I suppose. But, uh, you know, it was, I think it was about four or five people. And he was sort of a co-founder and he was trying to convince his partners to niche down on people who sell on shopify they were just a sort of generalist web design firm right and he's like let's let's just focus on shopify shopify was this was a while ago shopify was still new but it was like it seemed to really be happening couldn't convince the partners to do it uh, for all the reasons that you uh, you're probably heard a million times and he said okay what about this let's start a, a different website with a specific name and we'll just sell this. It would just be one page, and it'll just be for people who sell like like physical goods on Shopify. And they're like, "All right, yeah, have fine do that." I don't know. Like eighteen months later, it was the entire business. Like, they, yeah, it was exactly. they just like completely proved the model. And at the same time, he he jumped on a platform right at the perfect time and had this sort of platform specialization. So there's a timing factor here too. But um, it it is maybe an approach for people. But I agree with you. It's like especially for soloists don't, don't try and I get this all the time. What if I have two websites and I know I just described that, but that was a firm and, and whatever they had the energy to do it. But if you can't manage the marketing for one business on your own, like what makes you think you're going to suddenly have twice as much energy to do two? It's just not realistic. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. Cool. Wow. Okay. What, is there anything else we should talk about? This has been, this has been great. We went through all five things. I think we got some cool tangents
1: in there, too. I uh, I've thought of some other episode we should do someday, but for this oh. topic, I think this is really ni- nicely tied up.
0: Perfect. Great. Well, this has been super fun. Where can people go to find out more about you online?
1: Uh, so my business website is davidcbaker.com, and there's lots of free stuff. Almost everything there is free. If you want to learn more and then the most recent book is the business of expertise, which is at expertise is is. So those two would probably be your best bets.
0: Cool. Yes. And, and listeners, if you haven't heard the previous episode that we recorded together, it was about that book. Uh, so if you're curious about that and want to check it out, uh, just search back through the, I don't know how you actually do it. I guess just search back through in your podcast player, <laughs> there for David's go. name and, uh, And you will find that and also sign up for his mailing list. It's one of the, it's one of the best I'm on and I'm super picky about mailing lists. Uh, I'm always glad I read it, even though they are, they're not short and sweet like mine. Um, They're long and sweet. So I'm (laughs) always, always glad I read it. And look, invited you on the show to talk about one of them.
1: Thank you for having me, Jonathan. I appreciate it. All right, folks,
0: that's it for this time. I'm Jonathan Stark and I hope you join me again next week for Ditching Hourly. Bye.